Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Paul is a 72-year-old retired farmer with a history of hypertension and mild heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction. His care has been pretty stable on lisinopril, furosemide, and metoprolol. He comes in today because he states he's feeling a little more short of breath, especially with any activity and exertion. He's not been checking his weight, but he thinks his feet are a little more swollen than usual. Paul tells us that he admits to eating more salty snacks lately while he's been sitting home all winter. On exam, his pulse ox is 93% and his other vitals are normal. His lungs are clear, but he does have some pitting edema just above the ankles. You consider assessing for elevation of his jugular venous pressure and stop and say to yourself, how valuable and reliable is my ability to assess his JVP? Hi, this is Frank Domino. And joining me this morning is Dr. Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and Executive Editor of Dynamed. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So um, seeing this paper and and having this discussion, I I always get a little cringe because my ability to assess for JVP is limited. Let's talk a little bit about acute heart failure. How does it typically present in our offices? So the first thing I want to stipulate is that in the uh, gentleman we're discussing, Paul, he is somewhat elderly, and typical signs and symptoms are not always present in the elderly. Um, You have to be very careful. If things are abnormal, you should pay attention, but normal uh, or subtle things may be the only way they present. It could just be a change in functional or cognitive status. That being said, the most common signs and symptoms of acute heart failure would be uh, shortness of breath, whether it be dyspnea on exertion, orthopnea, uh, or at night paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. This goes along with general exercise intolerance. People may have fatigue. Weight gain is often the most uh, the earliest sign, very subtle, and often we have our patients weigh themselves on a regular basis to try and detect that. They may have cough. They may be uh, increasing abdominal girth and lower extremity. Uh, edema is is fairly common. The key thing is that the presenting symptoms can vary in severity. It may just be some mild weight gain, or you can have uh, life-threatening pulmonary edema or cardiogenic shock and anything in between. So there's a wide spectrum, and you have to have a good index of suspicion. Uh, on exam, you might have a little tachycardia, some mild hypotension, uh, peripheral edema, as we mentioned, and uh, one of the classic findings is jugular venous distension. It's usually considered, uh, you know, sort of a hallmark. And finally, you can have an S3, and if that's present, it's certainly classic for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Uh, but it, you know, it's not always easy to hear, and it's not always uh, something that you can rely on. Yeah, I think probably the thing that scares me more than uh, JVP evaluation is my clinical skills at hearing an, an S3. So how useful is an evaluation for JVP um, in acute heart failure? 
So traditionally, JVP is considered to be the best indicator for identifying acute decompensated heart failure. Uh, JVP does correlate with right atrial pressures, so it's really a non-invasive window into volume status. Uh, Based on systematic reviews of studies that have looked at this, the sensitivity is usually reported as somewhere between 55 and 65 percent, and the specificity between 75 and 80 percent. It's worth noting the procedure is operator-dependent, so there's inter-observer variability, and this stems from how the procedure is done. You know, the patient has to lie in the semi-upright position, which means the angle of the bed is between 30 and 45 degrees. So right there, you have some variability, some degree of inconsistency. As for the procedure itself, you know, the patient turns their head to the left. The height of the distended vein is measured in centimeters above the sternal angle, and then you add five to that. And if the total is more than eight, it's considered abnormal. One problem with the visual assessment of JVP is it's not always possible to do Uh, particularly in patients uh, with significant obesity. You had mentioned, uh, you know, a recent paper, and this, I think, is an attempt to improve on the accuracy of JVP. Uh, It was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, and they took 100 patients who had been referred for right heart catheterization, so they were going to have a gold standard to compare to. And then they had a couple of, um, of the researchers use a handheld point a care ultrasound device that plugs into a smartphone and they use that ultrasound to then go ahead and measure the JVP and the phone is used uh, to display the visual images of the ultrasound. Using the probe they compared the diameter of the internal jugular vein to the adjacent carotid artery and then they followed the vein uh, superiorly until it was no longer larger than the adjacent carotid artery And at this point, they measured the height. So that's obviously more sensitive than just using your eyes. You have a a more precise way of doing that. They also did what they called a qualitative assessment, where they just had the patient sit upright. And then they looked at the internal jugular vein just above the clavicle. And if it was wider than the adjacent carotid artery, they said, it's heart failure, and we're not going to worry about a specific number. So for detection of... Uh, acute heart failure with an elevated right atrial pressure. They used the cutoff of more than 8 centimeters, and the sensitivity and specificity were around 73% and 79% respectively, with a likelihood ratio of 3.4. So this shows some usefulness. Um, It certainly adds to, uh, it's certainly better than just using the visual approach. And one of the things was there was nobody, regardless of whether uh, they had obesity or not, who couldn't be assessed using the ultrasound, whereas there were quite a a number when they tried to do it visually where they they were unable to do the assessment. And I I think that's the real-world point, is that so many of our patients have large necks if they're obese or they're just big in general. So visual um, uh, evaluation is is prohibited even before we start. All right, so you make a, a compelling component for evaluating right atrial pressure in this manner using a point-of-care ultrasound. But isn't that, you know, expensive and out of the realm of most primary care practices? So, like so many things with technology, uh, things are constantly changing. So, uh, I'm involved in some teaching uh, for urgent care and emergency medicine clinicians for the American Academy of Family Practice, and we traditionally run a point-of-care ultrasound a workshop as part of our course. And this involves 
you know, a big machine uh, that you wheel in that is, you know, st- is on uh, a stand next to the patient and you're operating a probe next to that. And those things do cost a lot of money. And, you know, some larger clinics may have one. But what we're talking about here is something that really just plugs into your iPhone. And so all you're paying for really is the probe and you know, the, the software takes care of everything else. These things have come down in price. Currently, they're in the range of a couple thousand dollars, which, yeah, that's more than a stethoscope. But I think over time, the uses for point-of-care ultrasound are only going to increase. And in many ways, I expect this will be the stethoscope of the future. And the cost is going to continue to come down. So whatever you know, we quote today, I guarantee you, two or three years from now, it's going to be significantly less expensive still. So I think it's, it's a good thing to be aware of. This is just one use of point-of-care ultrasound. And, you know, how many of our patients are in acute heart failure? Not that many, but the ability to make an assessment in just a few seconds very quickly of whether do I need to send this person to the emergency room? You know, is this just, okay, they, they gained a few pounds, but they're, they're really still okay? Um, that kind of, that's, that's, to me, something that would pay for itself over and over again in short order. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, many training programs for APPs as well as physicians uh, in primary care uh, now require training with uh, handheld ultrasound. And all of our emergency medicine residents um, use it constantly in the emergency department. So I anticipate, certainly within the next five years, this will be a standard that's used uh, throughout the inpatient and outpatient setting. Alan, this is great. Uh, You make me feel much better about my physical exam skills, and uh, I really appreciate your discussion today of both JVP as well as handheld ultrasounds. Thanks, Frank. Practice pointer. Using point-of-care ultrasound to assess JVP is easy and quick, and it helps assess right atrial pressure right there in your office and is more accurate than your own visual assessment. Join us next time when we talk about the dangers of secondhand vaping aerosol exposure on children and adults. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, Please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.